Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we are with Jaden Vu. He has an amazing story, and I'm looking forward to him sharing that with you. But he would describe himself as an accidental entrepreneur, and he takes him back to a, a moment of the show Wolf of Wall Street and the similar sort of sliding do- doors moment for him. But he's a drop shipping expert an investor, built e-commerce business. He is an amazing entrepreneur with an amazing story and I'm going to let him share it. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Jaden Vu. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we are with a new friend of mine, someone I recently met on the social media platform Clubhouse, and we've been connecting ever since we were sharing the stage there and really aligned with his mission, vision, his um, intellectual property, I would call it, where he would share a lot of great wisdom in clubhouse but he's a former chef turned entrepreneur and investor he's built uh, seven figure businesses he's got an incredible investment portfolio he's doing amazing things and he's an, an e-commerce guru in the drop shipping space so we're going to be talking all things around that journey and transition and also about the drop shipping model his name's Jaden Vu and he lives in Vancouver so we're just having a chat about some Vancouver stories as I was there a couple of years ago so welcome to the show Jaden Craig, thanks for having me. And wow, what an intro. Got me a little nervous there. <laughs> so I always like to intro people into the show, but I think the most important part of the show is to allow people to fill out their story, their challenges, adversities, their wins, their losses. So yeah, I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, ooh, my story. So I want to start back um, just like a couple of years before I became a, an entrepreneur, actually. It was accidental. So I'm one of those accidental entrepreneur. And what I mean by accidental is I've never thought I would ever become one. It was not in the cards for me. Um, it was just by mere chance of wanting to win a freedom, right? There's people that want to grow up and build a business and there's individuals that just want freedom. Um, and they do correlate because in order to get freedom, you want to build your own journey. But anyway, so for me, I never thought I wanted to run my own business. I just wanted to be free somehow, whether it was financially, spiritually, or mentally or emotionally. So uh, yeah, back forwarding to uh, when I started. So I'm a corporate chef. Uh, my goal growing up there, uh, Craig, was actually I wanted to be a Michelin chef. I wanted to be the next Gordon Ramsay, or I wanted to be the next Richard Blaze. I just wanted to own a three Michelin star restaurants. So that was my goal. And uh, as I got into the industry, I slowly realized that one, it is very labor intensive. So if any of your audience um, are like, uh, they've had experience with the hospitality industry or they're working in the hospitality industry, they can resonate a lot is like, it's very grueling and it takes a huge toll on you. You work about 15, 16 hours a day on your feet and uh, constantly back problems and, and, and you're just constantly in the sweat. So you, you mentally don't feel as good, but that's what you put up with because that's part of the industry. So Anyways, uh, kind of going into it, I wanted to become this chef, but I realized before these 15, 16 hours I was trading off, I wasn't making a lot of money. At the time when I was in the industry, you're making $100 a day. It's called a daily wage. And when you really factor into how many hours you put in, 
you're not really making that much, but way below minimum wage. And I live in Vancouver, BC, Canada, which is one considered one of the most expensive cities in Canada. So um, I was not living at, you know, at home with my parents. Um, so I still was, I had my own bills at a very young age. Um, so I was living paycheck to paycheck. So fast forwarding, I, I was doing this for a while. And then I came across uh, an individual I met in the industry. And um, if any of your audience, uh, I guess I'll ask you there, Craig, have you ever watched the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street? Absolutely. I love it. I reference it. Actually, I re actually reference it in my book. Okay, good, good. You're going to love this story. Okay, so um, if you remember this one specific scene, it's, my, it's one of my favorite scenes because it resonates a lot to me. There's, there's Jonah Hill in the cafe and there's Leonardo DiCaprio sitting down eating, right? And he's pulling, he pulled up with this nice Jaguar and here's uh, Jonah Hill coming over with this you know, raspy voice and really ugly looking you know, attire. He's like, what do you do for work? We live in the same building and you're driving a nice car. It doesn't make any sense. And he, and then basically Leonardo DiCaprio tells him how much he makes, and he's Jonah Hill is like, hey, look, if you show me a pay stub right now for how much you make, I'll quit right now and work for you. And he did. So that resonates a lot to me because this individual I knew in the industry started posting all over his social media, a nice suit and a nice car. And I wanted to meet up with him. And he, he took the time to meet me. And we chatted. We we're talking about how I was going, how he was going. And I, I couldn't I couldn't avoid the question. I was like, hey, how, do, how much money do you make? Like, really? He's like, I make 60 grand. And I was, I was already in awe because I thought when he said that he was making 60 grand in a year and I was making 35 grand as a cook. So like that 25,000 gap was huge. So I was like, oh, if I get another 25 grand, like that would be amazing, right? And uh, I was like, do you make that in a year? He's like, no, I make that in two weeks. I made that in two weeks. And I, I couldn't believe it. Like I, I was just so stunned and I was so paralyzed that one, I didn't believe it, it made any sense. And two, like, this guy lying is this guy lying or not so i asked him hey look you show me a pay stub and this was all emotional i just i didn't even think about it logically about my my actual responsibilities as, as, as a chef in the in the in the my previous role so i was like you show me a pay stub and he showed me a pay stub and it was 60 grand within two weeks and literally i quit my job called my chef i'm not coming in tomorrow and it was the most irresponsible thing i ever do you never want to do that to employer it's really bad on you but i burned my bridge so I was like, I, I quit, now I'm going to show up, pack my knives and left. And then I jumped into now what's, uh, what I didn't know at the time is life insurance. So he was selling life insurance. So I got into it, you know, you know, with, uh, I dropped my knives and I'm like, I'm just like tap dancing to my first day, my orientation and all that. And like, I'm like expecting to make tons of money. Right. Uh, no, completely total opposite effect. Um, it was kind of almost like a butterfly effect. Like I didn't like, I didn't know what I was doing. So when I jumped into it, being promised by the individual I met with, he was just like, okay, you know what? You can make this much money as long as you put in the hard work. And I don't mind hard work because working as a chef is very hard work. Like you can't complain 16, 17 hours. You're doing this because one, uh, you signed up for it. And two, you get kicked out of the kitchen if you complain, right? There's no room for error or no room for babies. So I don't mind the hard work. Um, so the first month went by, I made no sale. Second month, no sale. Third month, I was depressed. I, I wanted to give up. Every single day, I actually wanted to give up. Fourth month, um, I, I asked myself because my, my savings, I didn't have a lot of savings there at the time there, Craig. I, I was borrowing money from people and I, I felt like I was digging myself a financial hole, but I kept believing it's like, you, you would think a sane person would give up by now. Four months in, not a single sale, but, but I don't know what kind of miracle pulled me out of it. 
because I kept blaming everyone else but myself. I kept blaming the guy who brought me in. And I, I kept blaming all the managers and uplines ahead of time. I kept blaming the sales material. I kept blaming the product. It was, a, it was the wrong product. Or I kept blaming the people couldn't afford it. I kept blaming everyone and everything but myself. And the fourth month, I, I guess I had a miracle moment. I was like, it's time to take responsibility. And I was desperate. Because in life there, Craig, if you can, and for your audience member too, is if you can resonate, you're either driven by two things. You're driven out of inspiration or desperation. And for me, I was driven out of desperation just because I didn't want to go back into the, you know, that industry anymore because I was not making enough money. So I've given up on this, you know, Michelin star Gordon Ramsay uh, uh, dream. So on the fourth month, I just had an epiphany. I was like, you know what? It's time to stop blaming everyone else. I, and, and a little backstory as well as I suffered from depression for about seven years. And at the age of 21, what got me out of depression um, was the fact that I started taking responsibility for myself and stopped saying, you know, blaming the world. So I, I owned up to my own uh, inadequacies in life. And it really helped me dig out that uh, uh, depression. So having that moment again, that epiphany, I was just like, okay, you got to take ownership because when you do take ownership, you tend to really build upon it and, and go, go to the side where you need to be or kind of fill in that void. Um, so I, on the fourth month, I decided to take myself seriously, started looking up Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Brian Tracy, uh, picked up uh, the first book uh, in sales, which was um, The Secrets of Closing the, the Sale by Zig Ziglar, studied it. Um, and then I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, came, came across a gentleman named Grant Cardone, which I know you're familiar with there, Craig, watched all his videos. And then it gave me enough inspiration and also motivation to invest into his Cardone University, his training program. And I didn't have a lot of money. So I, I so for me at the time, 497 USD was a lot of money. So, but I invested because I know this guy knows what he's talking about. So after all that training for a month, month five, I made one sale. And it started from there, two sales, three sales, five sales. Like, wow, it's working. Like I'm getting training from outside mentors. I call them digital mentors uh, through books and stuff, not from my actual mentors. So I, I kind of alienated myself from the company and started just diving into these courses. Anyway, so fast forward, long story short, uh, uh, because of that uh, fifth month and really taking myself seriously, I became one of the fastest producing agent, um, sold a million dollars worth in life insurance sales. And at the time we had a 45% commission. So here I am, this, this kid who literally just went from borrowing money, sleeping in cars, um, to having 450,000 net. Like I didn't know what to do with that money. So I blew it all away, half of it, kind of like the high life, kind of reward myself. And then I started building an agency. And then about a year and a half later, um, I wanted to get into the entrepreneurial world because I started to realize I hate taking orders. So this is where I became an accidental entrepreneur because I, I, I started hating people telling me what to do because I brought in the success, but people wanted to kind of like bring me down and tell like, no, you need to do like this. You need to do like this. And I'm not trying to change up the wheel or change up the game at all, but I had a system that was more authentic and genuine at the time and, and breaking out of the sales script that we had. So they didn't like that. And we've, I fought a lot. Um, great company though, but I just feel like the managers just didn't want me to succeed the way I wanted to succeed. So I built a company, um, built three companies, failed at it, was going to give up being an entrepreneur because it was tough and a lot of money was, uh, and time was uh, invested into it and I saw nothing out of it. Built my fourth company. Um, and then that company within eight months became a seven figure business. And then I left the insurance entirely. And I just realized how much fun it is to build a company once you're successful. Um, so that's, that's my story. And then I just go strong every single time. Wow. So yeah, look, I mean, accidental entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. I always say 
you know, I guess things just happen in your journey and along your life. And, um, you know, I can correlate to a lot of those pathways myself where, you know, I was an engineer, fired my boss uh, when I was 21, followed my dreams and passion, fitness industry. Then, you know, that was a 12-year run and then moved into uh, selling uh, wellness products online and then that became like an incredible thing. And now I'm sort of on a new chapter as well of building out and focusing on building out a personal brand and an audience and educator, content creator. And, you know, these things just sort of happen and take a natural course. I often do say to people too that I, I totally understand what you're saying or don't understand from physically doing it but um, uh, that, that chef, you know, the dream of being that chef and that Gordon Ramsay and um, and I, I used to always say to people it fascinated me the shows, the cooking shows like Master Chef and these sort of shows and people romantically buy into I want to be a chef, I want to be a chef and um, then they go and on the show and their dream is to open a cafe and or a restaurant and they do that and they don't realise that there's more to just being a chef when you open a restaurant and you know a lot of those people uh, find themselves doing some pretty tough times. So just one thing you um, that I we were talking about in regards to investing. You've also had a, a pretty good run with investing as well. Is that both stock market? Is it into private companies? Is it property? I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's just security. So the stock market. So um, honestly, sometimes I look back and go like, that could have been the worst mistake of my life or the best mistake. And the reason why I said that is because I didn't have a lot of money, but um, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time, which I know now, which is called dollar cost averaging, right? So I got into it because my father uh, was heavily into it. And he talks a lot about it. Um, now, we didn't grow up in a very, uh, you know, well-off family, um, so, but he was investing. He talks a lot about that. I would always hear those conversations. And uh, I decided to kind of venture into it, kind of look into it, uh, kind of like how Warren Buffett started out, right? He was just kind of like, he was fascinated by numbers and, and, and uh, his dad was doing it on Wall Street and stuff. For me, it was just my dad talking about it. And um, I, I just, I just like spending money, to be honest. I just love spending money. I don't know what it is. I think it's a, it's, it's a bad habit if you spend it the wrong ways, but if you spend money the right way, then it can pay off. So um, I looked up different companies and um, at the time I was an early adopter of Apple. I loved that Apple. So I was like, if I'm buying these products, I love it. Why don't I just invest into their stock? Maybe, you know, I can build some kind of future portfolio for myself. Uh, so I started investing like maybe $50 at the time and then gradually increased to hundred dollars. I was just buying like one or two shares. Um, and then from there, I started doing other companies like Amazon, uh, Facebook, um, and then got into like Shopify. So over the time, I just kept dollar cost averaging, right? I didn't really care what the stock price was at that month. Um, I just put like about whatever I can afford for one share for, you know, one or one or two stocks. Um, and it was good. And I called it my goals account. And it, it, I think something uh, here, here's a book that really changed my life there, Craig. I don't know if you came across it. It's uh, The Power of Broke by Damon John. Okay, so the, the Damon John is uh, the Shark Tank uh, individual. I'm pretty sure you know Damon John, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So his book, The Power of Broke. Um, so I read it, and pretty much the into encapsulate the book is just talking about switching your mindset and start building this goals account for yourself that you never touch in, in the long run. It's going to be your retirement fund, um, but you're actively investing into this fund. So I, I I was literally just forcing myself to believe I was broke, even though I had money. So I don't stay mediocre or comfortable with my you know current environment or current situation. So I did that, 
And I built this goals account for my investment portfolio that I swore an oath to myself, which I've been very grateful to keep still managing the way I've been uh, promising myself is no matter how broke or poor or how bankrupt I ever become, not going to do it if that ever happened, that I will not touch that account. I will literally leave it, let it grow itself, never touch. I don't care how much money I have in that account. I'll leave it alone. And because of that, I never once, even though I came super close to caving in because I was desperate for money, I never touched that money. Not even when I was going four, four or five months without a single sale. I will literally just not touch that money. So anyways, um, and then um, I, it kept growing and it got to the point where like I started to read up more, read more Warren Buffett uh, mythologies and start to understand how to invest. And, uh, and from there it grew and I'm very fortunate. And the pandemic just made it a lot more amplified that I started playing with the money a lot more to, to grow my account. Um, but yeah, I didn't start out like a sales guru. I, I actually dropped out of high school. So I don't know, or not sales guru, uh, an investing guru. Um, but I dropped out of high school and I'm never, I'm never really academic in a sense. Um, I don't know numbers. I just know that I love to spend money. And I just thought that spending money in the stock market was a smart decision. So I will throw a fun fact out there though, Craig. Uh, I got into Bitcoin because I got forced into it back in 2014 when it was like worth two, $300 a pop. So I spent $3,000, I got myself a couple of coins and I forgot I had coins. And it wasn't until like maybe a year ago when all the news about Bitcoin breaking 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. I was like, oh my God, I have 10 coins. So <laughs> yeah, it, became, it was the most stupidest decision I ever made because I got forced into it, but it became to be the most miraculous positive uh, investment. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, that's that's a journey that's going to take its own run, um, I'm sure. And it's it is at the moment. So, what about drop shipping? You're an e-commerce, um, you know, guru. Uh, you set up a very big business in that space, and it's in the drop shipping space. Do you want to share a little bit about that and how does your model work? Yeah, so my model works in a sense where we teach. So right now, um, I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Launchers Academy, which I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there, um, is where we, we teach beginners. So we focus on a lot of beginners who want to get into drop shipping in light of the pandemic because um, we've been doing it for a while. And we teach these beginners how to successfully get into drop shipping, how to build a winning Shopify store, find those winning products, and also run profitable Facebook ads. So our model um, is something that we teach just based on what I've, I've spent to like tens of thousands of dollars to invest into mentors to do. But in a sense, for all those audience members that are not aware what dropshipping is um, and what, what, what is the difference between e-commerce and dropshipping. So e-commerce, the way I look at it prospectively is that you, you have a product that you either are indeed or it's a product that you believe and you brand around it. You create a community, you create a company around it. And that's a great way for the long term. Dropshipping is more of a short term, but can segue into the actual branded or community is where we would just constantly test products um, because with dropshipping, 90% of the products out there are very saturated and complete losers that, that, that they're, they're in the big box retailers, right? So to win in dropshipping um, that I find is that you got to find products that people are not really talking about or not in like the Walmarts or the Amazons or what of those big box retailers. Um, so the model is you find those products, you test them until they start winning. And what I mean by winning is that there's a demand on it. And this is where Facebook ads come in. So you're constantly testing and testing. And you're investing a lot of your time and money to finding those winning products. And once it does very well, then that's where you take it to the next level from the dropshipping model and invest into the brand. So you would buy more inventory and then you get a, a whole community around it. You start building an actual logo and brand. So for the first little bit with dropshipping, it's all about just finding the product. It's not really about building a company at that point. 
Um, so that's the model between what we do versus what um, actual e-commerce business are like. Mm. So with in regards to that, when you say you're researching products, where do you source the products from? Like do you, like is it, a, like for example, is it a an existing company that's already got the products and you approach them and, and say we want to, drop ship your products to see if they're a good product to work or is it um, something that you, you know, white label from China and uh, in a factory and drop ship their product? How does that part work? Yeah, great question. So it's exactly what you said the first time is you literally go to these manufacturers or suppliers that have the product and you just reach out to them and they've been around in the game for a while. So they don't, they know how this works. You basically just say, hey, I'm a drop shipper um, and I'd love to drop ship your product and they work up some kind of deal. Um, so that, that's exactly how it works. Now for us, what we do in terms of searching these products is uh, we have a proven seven step that helps you eliminate all the bad products. Cause a lot of people who get into drop shipping actually there, Craig, they're very sold on an idea and also throw out the two mistakes uh, people uh, make when it comes to getting into this industry is one being emotionally attached to a product, meaning that there's a product that you like, but you're so emotionally attached to it, you disregard the market and you're, you're constantly just investing your time into what you like as opposed to what the market actually wants. So I've, I've had that happen to me where literally the product does not do very well for the first three days, but I believe in it so much. I kept investing money. And about two weeks later, I realized it's not going anywhere and all that. It, it, yes, I was emotionally defeated, um, but I realized that I was glad that I didn't spend months on it, but two weeks it was still a lot of money because I was pulling a lot of money into just like labor and then Facebook ads, but it was a good painful lesson. And then the, the second mistake a lot of people make when it comes to drop shipping um, is not spending enough time on the product research, like absorbent amount of time. 80% of the time in order to win is spending your time on the product research. 20% is everything else, like building up the page, running ads. But if you don't have a product, you can't, you can't build a good campaign or store around a bad product it doesn't work, but you can build a decent campaign or store around a great product and you win. Um, but yeah, so we would, we have a proven seven step uh, uh, model there, Craig, to help us find the winning products. But for anyone to start, uh, what, how I started was I would just go on aliexpress.com. So that's A-L-I uh, express.com. And I would just search up the products that are not highly talked about and how you can find that is there's a little button when you search a products where it has a category saying most relevant bestsellers and orders. If you click orders, um, it will kind of rate all the top orders of the suppliers. Your goal is to hit the, between the range of a, a thousand to 200 orders. And the reason why you want to do that one is because you have more leverage because they don't have a lot of, uh, fall, um, a lot of sales. So you can leverage a lower cost. And also too, that's a product that's not selling us hot, but there's demand for it. And if you get it in and blow it up, that's where you win. Um, but I, I spent most of my time on AliExpress and that's how someone can start. Mm. So you just set up uh, like a simple page with a platform like ClickFunnels and then you run ads to that product. Is that sort of the next step from there, would you say? Almost right. Uh, Shopify, not ClickFunnels. So um, we don't run any click funnels. Uh, this is my perspective with click funnels. Like I do have a website that's a click funnel. Um, but when it comes to drop shipping, it, it's more on a Shopify. And the reason being is how I look at click funnels is it's literally just a page that's geared towards one objective, which is to make the sale or to get a, to get to capture the lead, right? Um, and the messaging, the entire tonality of that page, it's just focused on that one product. And uh, that's more geared towards high ticket sales. Like a service-based business is great for a click funnel. 
when it comes to the multiple different products, when you're, re you're researching, you want to build an actual store, like a general store. And the, and the, and the way it's optimized is different from uh, ClickFunnels and Shopify. And um, I can spend two hours talking about this, which I won't take up the entire podcast mm -hmm. and talk about this, but uh, just in quick, uh, quick uh, bits, it, Shopify is better just because of the layout and how it converts and it, it, it's uh, laid, laid out for its theme. A click funnel is great when you are a service-based business because it's built around one messaging. Uh, with dropshipping, you, you're constantly all over the place. So if you're to start, start with Shopify. I'm very biased with Shopify. I know there's other com and like different other platforms out there like uh, WooCommerce, Wix, or BigCommerce. Um, but I'm, I'm biased with Shopify because we've, you know, we've been using it for years. So. Very good. And also, when I was uh, looking through your bio, I noticed that you have a few random passions in life, acting and watches. What's uh, the story there? Oh, which one do you want me to start with? Okay, so I'm more passionate about the watch. I love acting still. Okay, so here's a, another fun fact that Craig, oh, you can make me talk on and on about this. Okay, I'll try to keep it super short with, with both of them. Um, so with acting, I actually wanted to become an actor at the time because I wanted to be cool and famous. That was the driver behind it, right? So while I was in the kitchen, before I even met the individual with the life insurance, I, want, I was acting on the side. Um, if you search me on IMDb, I'm, I'm there, which, which I, we she should, I don't want to have much credit. So um, anyway, so I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to look cool and become a Bruce Wayne, right? Like get famous and like get all these good looking girls that come at me. So that was just like a, you know, child pipe dream. Um, so I started getting into the industry and I slowly realized one, I'm, I'm not that tall. So I, 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 I get this credit right there um, for the, you know, at the time when they were very, um, not as diversified in Canada for casting. Um, and also too, I look like a baby. So it was hard for me to get any real roles. And um, I've been rejected more times than I can count. I, I got up more than times I got, uh, can count, um, but I never got anywhere. I think the closest thing I came to booking what was a huge series, like I've been in like small little independent films and small like independent feature films, uh, but nothing that's like actually paid on the big screen or any, uh, you know, the big, uh, the big uh, networks. But one that they came close, fun fact, was it's called uh, Snowpiercer. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a TV adaptation of the actual Snowpiercer with uh, Chris Evans. Um, I don't know if you ever watched that movie. But, no, uh, no, I haven't. But I do remember when I was in Vancouver, um, they do a lot of movies there. Like they host a lot of movies there. What are some of the biggest? Is it's not Game of Thrones there, is it? It's um, oh, what? Like the Flash. Uh, the Flash is huge. Uh, the Green Arrow. Uh, they shot the Revenant, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, and uh, Tom. Uh, and it's it's by uh, God. Who's that director again? Uh, Alejandro or something. He won an Oscar for. Uh, uh, God, I don't. I can't remember. I've, I've been so out of touch with the industry. But they shot the Leonardo DiCaprio movie there. Uh, that was huge. Um, Twilight. I don't know if Twilight. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking, not Game of Thrones. Twilight. Yeah. yeah. Twilight. Yeah. So it was huge. Twilight was in uh, Vancouver. Cool. So what about watches? Yeah. Okay. So watches is because of my dad. So he was a huge watch guy and um, I grew up loving it. And now I'm a huge obsessed collector. So the one I'm wearing right now is my personal favorite. It took me six years to grab. Um, and, um, I don't collect your traditional, like, you know, commercialized, uh, watches, even though I own them, just because it's cool. Uh, I like to like in, invest into like grabbing more of the vintage and more of like the discreet one. Like if you look at my watch, sometimes people think it's a $500 watch. They will say nothing about it. 
Um, so I'm wearing right now a Patek Philippe. I don't know if you know yeah, a, yeah. a Patek Philippe. Okay. So right now I'm wearing a Patek Philippe, right? And this is the iconic uh, 5170A. Um, and uh, here, I'll show it to the screen if you want to take a look. Um, but yeah, so this one took me six years to get because they don't they don't just give this to anyone. You literally have to put your name on the reservation. I don't know if you can see yeah. it. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so um, I'm not into the whole Rolex or Omega kind of ordeal. And my dad never really collected those kind of watches. So my love was, I can talk on and on about watches, but uh, for, for me, watch is not about like the significance and how much you spend into it. It's the significance of the memory. So this has a memory outside of the six years I've waited for it, but um, it's more like uh, because I struggled so hard through my entire life and I got to a position where I'm so humbled by that I never thought would ever happen. This watch serves as a reminder every time I put it on going like, hey, look, you have the capability to get back up again and work hard, even though you've been pushed down so many times. Uh, but uh, yeah, with every watch, I, I own like maybe 15 watches. I don't know exactly the total number, <laughs> uh, but uh, with every single watch, there's a memory, whether big or small. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's okay. uh, new with watches. Very good. Just uh, on Clubhouse, it's a relatively new platform. What's your view of it and where do you see it going? Oof, great question. So where I see it going is sponsorships like the the big banks or like the, the these big support networks like netflix or those big giants will start um it's kind of like my myspace back in in i don't, I don't know however long ago i never used myspace i think i was too young for that or something mm. i never cared but they have these banners to start sponsoring and promoting like uh different people individuals and even events and um i'm thinking where it might lead to is exact same kind of model where they might put a banner um on top of clubhouse to sponsor like for example maybe a kevin hart event right or a tiffany haddish event or a dan fleischman kind of event and they'll sponsor it and they'll pay dan fleischman or kevin hart to host this room and talk about whatever it is that you know they want to talk about and start promoting a jb morgan chase or supporting a or promoting a goldman sachs or a netflix or the case may be and that you have to pay to be in this room and I, I foresee that happening. I mean, they're, they're slowly starting to bring in the tipping model. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen, a paid room that you have to pay to join. You can't just openly join. But they're already, they're already in, uh, you know, incorporating a tip where you can literally just tip a moderator or a speaker on the stage uh, if you find value. Um, that's, where, that's one area. The second area I see is just like a lot of six, seven-figure moderators getting paid as a moderator. Hmm. It's already happening. I know Jodine's getting paid. Uh, you know Jodine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's getting paid. Now she's like Grant Cardone's personal like moderator. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I see. Those are the two things I see happening. Wow. All right. At the end of every episode, I always have a handful of questions. I ask every uh, guest. I call it the rapid fire question section. So what's the best book you would recommend or you've read that you would recommend everyone should read if they want to get ahead in life? Oh, that's so tough. I'm a huge reading advocate. Uh, the best book, oh, there's so many. I'm actually staring at it right now. Um, God, that's tough. Okay. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Um, I think that's one of the best books I've read because it gave me more perspective on how entrepreneurship really is and what it takes to be the top 10% opposed to the 9%. So it's a great book. If one, you're an entrepreneur and you're struggling, read this book because you don't know what real struggles are. 
Uh, it's going to give you more inspiration. Two is if you want to become an entrepreneur, then this book will give you more of an outline of what it took for the greats to be where they are. Um, and Shoe Dog is, is Nike, if anyone's wondering. So it's, it's Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And then the third reason why you should read it is because it gives you more perspective of what it is in terms of not only the being an entrepreneur, but as an individual, what kind of characteristic you need to build to, to manifest being a successful CEO, like the, the amount of lessons and nuggets I pick up from that book alone, just reading his story has made me a way better individual and CEO. So that's, that's the one book I would suggest. Mm. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received? You are the five people you spend most of your time with. So that's the best piece of advice I've ever received. Yeah. What about the worst bit of advice or worst sort of idea that you just totally disagree with? The worst idea? The worst idea that numbers really matter. So what I mean by that is uh, when I started personal branding, and this is just towards personal branding, and I'm not talking about money or anything. Uh, when I was told that it really matters to how much followers you have, I was never told about the quality and value you can provide. It was just focused on the numbers, and everything else would come. That was one of the worst advice because uh, one, I didn't make as much money as I know my colleagues that has like 25,000 less followers than me. And I realized it's all about quality content and valuable relationships. Mm. What about the next three to five years in your world? Is it the same pathway? Have you got a vision to do something else? Is it to travel the world? Yeah, great question. So yes, travel the world, uh, get married, with my lovely, my lovely partner that I'm so in love with and um, have a conglomerate of businesses. So my, my ultimate goal in the next five years is to own multiple businesses where I don't do much other than communicate with my CEOs. Mm. What about this podcast, my vision mission, my book is around maximizing your one shot at life, whatever that is for you. If somebody's here listening and they need some inspiration, what's your... Um, perspective on maximizing your one shot at life Oof. maximizing my one shot at life can you give me an example so for example yeah like it's it's probably you know inspire someone in 2020 to just go and do it like for you you've yeah you burnt the boats you went on and did great things why was that important and yeah okay gotcha okay um, I'll, I'll kind of lead in with this kind of uh, folktale. Uh, one of the best uh, folktale that I ever came across, I might be butchering it, but if anyone knows, they know, is that in order for the Chinese to win against the, the emperor, it was literally just the uh, emperor's team versus the, uh, the actual civilians. And how they're able to win was not because they had numbers. The emperor's team had numbers. But what made them win was the fact that they stopped doubting themselves and burned the bridge so there's no way turning back and that was only to march forward. And that's how they won with the entire team. Because here's the thing, mentally, the other team was thinking the same way, right? They came into the battle being scared whether they were going to die, whether they were going to lose. But the other team, they knew all of that. But they burned the bridge so there was no turning back. It's literally to march forward and win. If they don't win, they don't win. And um, why I love that folklore so much, I'm pretty sure I'm butchering it, um, is because as entrepreneurs, your, your title is not business owner. Your title is not CEO. Your title is not like impactor. Your title is literally jumping off a cliff and hoping you don't fall on the way down, 
right? And what I mean by that is you don't know what's there ahead. There's no security net. There's, there's nothing ahead of you. Your goal is to just march forward, burn all the bridges. And um, this is my perspective um, because I know that there are people out there who, who, who have businesses on the side while they're building and they have a current job. I wasn't, I wasn't so much like that. Yes, I was still in the life insurance, but when I got into actual entrepreneurship, I didn't do the life insurance at the same time. I went back and forth because I burnt three businesses. But to maximize yourself as an entrepreneur is you got to stop focusing on all the negatives and all the, all the problems. Because if you only focus on the negatives and the problems, that's all you're going to really focus on. But if you focus on the solutions and the opportunities out there, your brain's going to be wired subconsciously to work hard. So my, my best piece of advice to maximize is focus solely on the positives and opportunities because in return, it's just like, you know, what, what is being lucky? Lucky is the opportunity meets preparation. So if you're constantly preparing yourself for all these opportunities, it will come, whether it's two years, five years, 10 years. I mean, Rome was not built in a year and neither was Apple. It took 10 years before Apple became the giant it was at its time. So that's my advice. Yeah, well said. And where do people find you? Social, websites? Yeah, so I'm going to funnel people into two areas. <laughs> so uh, you can find me mainly on Clubhouse. Uh, it's literally just at Jaden Vu. And so is my Instagram. I'm very active on the Instagram and the Clubhouse. So you can find me there. If you find me anywhere else, I, I promise you I will not respond there. Right. <laughs> very good. And from me, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed your insights to business and your story. It's, yeah, look, I mean, I can draw a lot of um, parallels to my journey of 20 years in business and crossovers and career changes and, and things that just take off just because. So I want to thank you for sharing uh, your insights with us today on the One Shot Movement podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. Looking forward to it. Wow, I hope you got as much value out of that episode with Jaden as I did. He is an amazing entrepreneur doing incredible things and I love his, I guess, his nature where he describes himself as a, an accidental entrepreneur, a guy who went from chef into building an incredible business and continuing to grow and scale and I truly loved his story. If you haven't got a copy of my book, you've got one shot, make sure you head across to craigschultz.com and get your copy while you're there drop by and book in a session with me a 15 minute catch-up session where i can look at your personal circumstance and help you navigate and plan a roadmap so you can build your dream life if you like this episode make sure that you share it on your social with your friends your contacts to show the love of the one shot movement podcast at the end of every episode i always say you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot whatever that is for you my name's craig schultz and i'm the host of the one shot movement podcast